everyone. It's that time again. Hi. Not So Giant Women is back with another podcast about another great episode, and it's called Warp Tour. Sounds like an adventure. <laughs> right? <laughs> Any impression? Revisiting what warp pads and the warp network can do, maybe? Maybe bouncing oh, I hope from, so with a title like that. Bouncing mm. from one to the other. Yeah. Might see that hub again. <laughs> well, let's find out. <laughs> we are the crystal gems. We'll always save the day. And if you think we can, we'll always find a way. Doesn't matter. She's not coming back. Whoa. Okay. Big steps. <laughs> New gem. All right. Let's see if I can recap for the people who weren't just watching and the people who have watched and are going to wonder what I did and didn't see. <laughs> Our heroes are coming back from a mission in some kind of place covered in what looks like wheat fields. The mission was successful, but the fields... The pollen have set off Stephen's allergies. Something horrid. He is all he is all tears and mucus and bleary and all the rest. And he keeps sneezing. Pearl chastises him for not sneezing into his elbow, which those of us who have just lived through a coronavirus pandemic have heard a lot of. So very topical, Pearl. <laughs> As they go to warp out and are in the warp stream, one of Stephen's sneezes propels him half out of the warp stream where he insists he sees something through his bleary eyes. They pull him back in saying that it's not good to be outside the warp stream as the unspace, if you will, is very cold and there's not much air. They say Stephen can't have seen anything out there. He is insistent he has as Pearl insists, they are the only things on Earth that can use the warp pads. So take note of that wording. Mm-hmm. Stephen can't sleep, tries to sit up guard in case whatever was in the warp stream tries to come through their warp pad. It doesn't. And things get actually a bit heated between Stephen and Pearl as to whether he can have seen something and what it means if he did. To reassure Stephen, they take a tour from warp pad to warp pad, revisiting a few we've seen before, including the geode still holding together nicely with duct tape. And we see the goat Stephen Jr. again. And as Amethyst notes, he's been busy making Stephen the third, I guess. He's got a little <laughs> family. So, you know, good on you, Stephen Jr. Uh, our Stephen's a grandpa, as Amethyst also notes. <laughs> Stephen picks up another dose of allergy at the field where they were the first time, which probably isn't helping his mood. But even at the main hub, there is nothing. Stephen and Pearl actually argue about it, much to the other two's confusion, though Amethyst thinks it's kind of cool to watch. They return home and something does come not from Earth that Stephen has seen. The same thing he saw in the warp stream actually plummets through the roof. He is right. It does come from space. In this case, it came directly from space. It's a little spherical bot about the size and shape of a bowling ball with some little legs that floats above. Stephen tries to 
capture it. It spars of him a bit, for want of a better word. Keep spraying something that when it chips the warp pad, we find out is like a fix-all for the warp pad. It fixes a, a crack in the warp pad, and Stephen and the sphere bot go through. While he's in the warp stream, loads of other sphere bots appear and force him out of the warp stream while he's holding on to one of them. He drifts out into the space between, and he reflects that even though he was right, he's going to die out here, a little sad sack as he starts to drift off. Then another stream appears behind him, and Garnet hauls him back into it while he takes deep breaths and recovers and shows them the ball bot. The other three don't recognize it. Pearl apologizes in pretty much no way whatsoever. And they arrive back at the main hub, which has the homeworld pad long before the other little ones. Loads of the bots go and start spraying their glue stuff over the homeworld pad. And it is back. It is functional again, as far as we can tell. And it is, I say, as far as we can tell, because it starts up again. And Another gem comes through. Our heroes go and hide. And this gem says to her gem's log, her diary, her dictaphone, whatever, that her name is Peridot. And she gives a bunch of details on the status of what they're doing. Starts to say something about a kindergarten, but then gets interrupted by her ball bot is, sorry, gets interrupted by one of the ball bots, which is broken. Stephen thinks, oh, the little ones are like her babies, but obviously Peridot isn't much of a parent because she then steps on said baby and crushes it. Having made her recording, Peridot goes back into the homeworld pad and warps out. That means, as the others point out, that beings from homeworld, from offworld, can now come to them, and Pearl doesn't like this. None of them like this. What does it mean? Garnet is not going to allow it, and fires up her gauntlets, making them excessively huge and smashes the pad back into little pieces. And that's where we end. Quite abruptly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, we've definitely underscored we don't want anyone from Homeworld, from the Gempire, if you will, coming to Earth (laughs) and hanging out with our gang. Yeah. Uh, They looked pretty scared about that, but obviously they're still active out there if Peridot's making reports and inspecting broken gem pads and firing little green bots around the galaxy to fix them for Yeah. I once had a dream about a new gem being called Olivine, and Olivine, I do know, is a similar gem to the real-life gem Peridot. So I got slightly headcanon confirmed today. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Hmm. We don't see much about Peridot. She's got some... Both the ball bots and her hands have this sort of interesting floating apart from their digits thing. Yeah. But she just seems stern and all business, but she's only really there for a minute, maybe even less. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, her design is... She isn't someone our guys know, and they don't want to get to know her, it seems. And we learned a little about how the warp pads work, but it was nothing we hadn't really put together so far. Mm-hmm. Yep. I liked how she could make a screen out of her fingers. Oh, yes. I forgot to mention that, that she sort of has a built-in tablet generator in her, with her floating finger things. Yeah, it looked like she had five floating fingers and four of them made the screen and one of them she could use as like the stylus. 
It's so fun. It's such a cool idea for, I mean, on the one hand, you wonder why do aliens have five fingers like most humans do, but (laughs) then you do something like that and you're like, oh, that's very inventive. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so apparently, yeah, gems, as far as we can tell, appear to be human-shaped, but they can mess around for a bit. Mm-hmm. They can even have a weird triangle head like Peridot. Oh, yeah. I guess I kind of read that as headwear, but it's kind of arbitrary to make that decision with gems, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe. As their clothes, as we've pretty much seen, are kind of part of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, she definitely looked very futuristic and robot-y, like <laughs> a very sort of technologically related gem. And that fits with all of the ones we've met so far, including Lapis. I haven't been in contact with Homeworld in quite some time, so things have moved on without them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they've done things like make screen-generating hands. And yeah, she must be modern gem. Yeah, little fix-it bots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that, I mean, even though you can kind of tell from context in previous episodes that they don't necessarily want these warp pads to be fixed, it was still sort of hard to tell sometimes whether they were broken and they couldn't do anything about it or whether they wanted them to stay broken. <laughs> and now it's very clear. Until this, it was a bit of a, oh, it's broken. I guess we don't have to think about it. But now they want to keep them broken, very broken. That's going to take a lot of spare bots to fix what Garnet just did. Yep. So also add breaking their stuff as to why they don't want to meet any of the other gems again. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we've now run into two gems who are not part of this crew, and they both reacted sort of violently to the idea, well, I guess Peridot didn't, but she said she was worried about the site being compromised. She saw the Crying Breakfast Friends sticker, and she goes, oh, the site may have been compromised, and she noped out of there. Yeah, so obviously the gems, the homeworld gems, I guess, want things to be just so, and cartoon stickers are indications that things are not just so. Mm. Lapis was just a bit desperate and wanted to go home and was possibly mentally injured for most of the time we saw her until Stephen put saliva on her. But (laughs) so far as we can tell, Peridot has all her ducks in a row. Yes, that's what it seems like. (laughs) On a a very minor note, this actually kills a theory I was working on this morning just before we started this recording. (laughs) Because I was thinking, I wonder if gems always have have to have their gem exposed. And I was thinking... And these are the actual words I used in my head. That might be why you don't see Pearl wearing a hat or Amethyst in a turtleneck or Garnet wearing oven gloves. And Garnet <laughs> wore oven gloves today. So, oh, well, no. that was a fine, a fine choice of words. The cartoon heard me and said, no, nope, no, nope, it's just a thing. She can wear gloves. They can wear turtlenecks. They just do that. See, and that is an interesting question to ask, well, why does she even do that? This is the gem who said that she can swim in lava. What does she need oven mitts for? <laughs> maybe she just does it to model safety for Steven. <laughs> well, if maybe she like learned to cook from shows or videos or something and they all wear oven gloves, so she just thinks that's what yes. you do. I really love seeing little things like that when the gems put on human stuff, like especially when <laughs> Garnet put on Steven's dad's pants in Rose's room. <laughs> that was, I don't know, I just get a real kick out of seeing them put human things on themselves. <laughs> Yeah, just sort of kind of mimicking 
kind of getting mostly right. Yeah. <laughs> so I wonder if she was the one that baked those cookies. Uh, hmm. Well, Seems what's an like That she could have done. She was using the gloves to take them out. Could be something Pearl and Garnet decided to do because they felt bad that he was mm. having such a hard time. Yeah, and also maybe a bit of a peace offering as things were getting heated up to that point. Yeah, well, that was very uncomfortable. And, and, you know, to be honest, my favorite part of this episode was right toward the end after, you know, after Garnet rescues Stephen, because I'm not a big fan of that trope where the audience knows that he saw something. They believe the protagonist because we saw what he saw. We don't know what the actual story is behind what he saw or whether it's dangerous or what's going on. But, you know, then he spends the bulk of the episode trying to convince them that he saw it. And they're basically gaslighting him. They're like, you didn't see anything. There's no way you could have seen anything. And it just seems, I don't know, that when people do that, especially like on shows when they write characters to just all categorically disbelieve the protagonist is, you know, just as a setup for later, he's going to be proven right. It's a very uncomfortable to watch because it's sort of a tropey thing, I guess. And you know where it's going. And um, especially Pearl was in on this. She really went hard and it made me think maybe just part of it was denial because you saw how freaked out they were at the end. So maybe they just really wanted it to not be true and that bled into how they treated him. Yeah, well, especially Pearl has been known to, as we saw when she had a little spaceship, can disconnect from reality if she gets particularly freaked out. So she may have preferred Stephen's Stephen's mistaken to something's actually there and was kind of push the Stephen's mistaken scenario into existence by telling yeah. Stephen's is mistaken, which is a thing people do, even though it makes no sense. Yeah. Let's grab his face and say, nod in agreement, if you understand. <laughs> nod in agreement. <laughs> and Garnet at least was the first to let's go and check. Yes. I'd say Methodology was, strange. Yeah, I'd say Garnet was closer to, I don't believe you because I don't think it's possible, as opposed to Pearl's, I don't believe it because I don't want it to be possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Garnet is historically pretty pragmatic about things like that. She's just like, well, he says he saw it. So, you know, I'm, she said her, her phrasing was, I'm confident Pearl is right, but if it'll make you feel better, we could just go check. You know, and you can see he appreciates that, but then they're teleporting all over creation, like just looking at the places that they can take a warp pad to. And, and I'm just, why didn't anyone just stick their head out of a, a warp stream like he did? That's how he saw it. Yeah, so they, they don't have allergies. Questioning their methodology. Yeah. They don't have allergies and they don't need to breathe, so they should be able to get a clear look. Yeah, exactly. They really should. But I don't know, maybe I guess they just figured that if it was warping somewhere, they would find it one of the places, but it still seems very peculiar. So. And they didn't consider what did happen on screen was that because Stephen was, what if it came from space? And I was like, well, nothing can come from space because the off-world pad is blocked. And came from space directly, like the long way, if you will. Mm -hmm. They didn't even think of that. Yeah. I'm guessing that maybe maybe Parada was trying to send stuff to Earth and none of them were working. So I guess she probably sent something as close to Earth as you could get and then had it go there manually <laughs> and break through the roof. Yeah, I guess that she was aware that there, that there were a bunch of pads cut off and they had to be fixed and mm -hmm. sent out the bots as an advance party. Mm -hmm. So how long ago she sent them, we don't know, but 
travels through space. We've already seen someone try to do it with water wings, so it's a bit off in the Steven Universe. universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She sent some kind of machinery that had the capabilities to fix the broken warp pad, so it seems like she knew it was broken and she wanted to do something about it, but we don't know what her mission is beyond that, besides like what, what you said about she was saying something about a act, manually activating kindergarten. <laughs> so she cut that word off, but you can kind of, most people guess that that's what she said, was saying. Oh yeah, she basically got all of that word out unless there's some very similar word we're not aware of, but we'll take that for right. now. I've read some live blogs and stuff of people reacting to this and some of them are like, what, did, what was she going to say? And others are like, what's kindergarten? You know, just so <laughs> some people hear it and other people don't so you heard it <laughs> uh, the academy for little gem soldiers maybe Don't know. <laughs> wow <laughs> but yeah we don't know what that means at this point like what she's what she's trying to do all we know is our gems think that is bad news whatever it is yeah, and <sighs> Stephen probably not asked them what it's about yeah yeah he wasn't getting an answer. For once, he wasn't asking, well, at least he asked one follow-up question, but he's like, what are they trying to do? And Garner just says, it doesn't matter. They're not coming back. And that seems to be, I guess, also her defense mechanism is punch first and don't ask questions later. And she punched. She got those huge fists. Like you said, It's the looked very much like the ones in the Garnet's Universe episode, which was pretend. So good job, Stephen. <laughs> And at least in this case, it looks like it was kind of huge fists is kind of connected to her emotional state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's like, I'm going to beat the crap out of this. We don't even need Zulite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One punch and it's done. Yeah. Which, though that, that may alert Peridot or whoever she's working with, if anyone, all the more. Mm-hmm. I just went to the hub and fixed that and now it's showing up as really, really broken again. Right. Somebody's doing that. So maybe she'll take that crying breakfast friends sticker and put it in her list of terrorist symbols. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be funny. Mm. But it's starting to seem more and more that people might be interested or gems might be interested in what's going on on earth. And that scares everybody who knows what that can do. So, mm. Yeah. While they've never said what it will do, it's obviously bad news. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, there's clearly been at least one war on Earth that involved gems. So, mm. Mm. and judging from the rough time references they've given so far, it seems that there's a lot more people on Earth now than when it was last a site of much gem activity. Which, from our gems' point of view, is all the more reason not to have another war. Yeah, war's not great. <laughs> so. Um, so to kind of change the subject a bit, I thought it was really interesting that Stephen had allergies. Yeah. I haven't seen him get sick or anything. There's been some debate, you know, can Stephen get sick because he has some kind of healing abilities? So it's interesting that even if he has healing abilities, he can have allergies. Well, that kind of works with real life humans too, because allergies are more like your system trying to kick in and raise its defenses rather than... Right being sick as such so yeah it could be if he he doesn't get sick like he might not get random colds and flu and viruses but this is actually his body trying trying to get rid of its the foreign matter as is as ours do so right technically he's he's not sick even though 
he's sick. <laughs> yeah, the whole histamine thing is different from reacting to a virus or a bacteria, but that kind of goes back to our first discussion about healing because Connie's eyes weren't actually sick, but they were fixed. So it's interesting that this is not this is not considered something that his unless his healing powers aren't still aren't working. <laughs> yeah, that was what I was about to say. If they're still on the blink from all the stuff with Greg and his unbroken leg and the geode. Yeah. It's really gross that Steven sneezed right onto Garnet's hip though. Yeah. <laughs> She's just standing there with his mess all over the side of her. Yeah, the artists and the animators are having fun making that as gross as possible. Surprise. <laughs> And I swear I could feel those red dried out eyes. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. And Pearl knows human bones, or at least she knows what an antecubital fossa is, which Mm. surprises me. Yeah. So not what an elbow is, apparently. Yeah. So it's interesting because sometimes she seems to be really ignorant of basic human stuff. Like she doesn't necessarily even know what kind of food somebody should eat. But then she knows what their bones are. She probably just found a human biology book and read all of it and memorized it. <laughs> yeah, often she's very book smart, but hasn't quite learned to apply that to real world scenarios. Yeah. Uh, so, Also about that opening scene, uh, thinking about the stuff that happened. And it, it, th- when they were setting the scene, it was really an unusual exchange of compliments between Amethyst and Pearl. Yeah, they're both even blushing a bit. Yep, they were. And well, Pearl managed to make it sort of a backhanded compliment. It almost looked like strategy. <laughs> so we didn't get to see the battle that they were referring to. They just apparently did pretty well with it. Mm. We've got to the point, we don't need to see every battle they fight to know they can fight battles. Mm-hmm. And that Stephen wasn't feeling up to it because he was exploding from all of his facial orifices. Yeah, he was, he was probably blind, to the, to, but he was probably blinded by his mucus and tears and facing the other way and who knows what. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting they could also use that to have his runny nose crystallize into frozen snot balls when he stuck his head out of <laughs> yeah. the warp stream. So you could, you could see that it had turned cold and, and Garnet is flicking it off of his face with broken ice flying everywhere say that it was cold out there. That, that was very just visually satisfying, I guess. Because, I mean, you could just tell us that it's cold out there, but that makes us definitely remember that it's that kind of cold. And apparently there's not much as opposed to no air out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, the first time he had his, I don't remember about the second time, but I remember noting when I watched this the last time that when he had his head stuck out, he was breathing and you could see his breath. Hmm. You could see the little clouds coming out of his mouth. Hey. He was breathing. He was breathing pretty rapidly. So maybe he was breathing a lot because there wasn't much. That is that is interesting that it has some air. Yeah. I, I mean, I want maybe bits of air just leak out whenever they use a pad and I don't know I, I guess I kind of assumed that warp space was like space but I suppose I don't know if this is a natural phenomenon the gems have tapped into or something they entirely built themselves it's hard to tell it looked very spacey with weird electricity flashing through it and very uh, very intimidating open space and clearly when they're in the warp stream there's air because Stephen just started gasping and he could breathe normally again inside of it so I guess it kind of preserves the atmosphere from where they're going to where they're going. Yeah, I I guess it would have to be a kind of localized thing because the gems wouldn't build 
a regular atmosphere into it because they don't need to breathe. Mm-hmm. At least it's not like inside of lion <laughs> where they can't breathe at all. <laughs> yeah, because of course you can't breathe in a lion's mane. Don't be silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, think physics. When you go inside of a magical lion's mane, it's not going to be air. <laughs> so anyway, I liked that Garnet did basically apologize to him. The other two didn't, as you noted, but they were all pretty dang mean to him. I mean, I was going over that kind of before, but I mean, Amethyst kind of did the whole like, oh, whatever, you're overreacting. Oh, are you going to scared? You're going to get bit by the warp monster, Ooh, you know, kind of teasing him. And he didn't have any humor about it. So she's just like, this isn't any fun. You're just pissing me off. (laughs) And of course, we went over how Pearl was just really antagonistic. And then Garnet was mostly just kind of, she was still like sort of condescendingly humoring him. And that was the best he got. But, you know, it was nice that she took him in her arms and said, I should have listened to you. Yeah, Pearl to me seemed the one who should have, who most needed to be apologizing to him and most was not. Garnet's, yeah. not Garnet, Amethyst's disagreement, it was very superficial and amethysty. Not that it yeah. was nice or that makes it okay, but right. it, wasn't the, it wasn't the deep cuts that Pearl was breaking out. Right, yeah. She was the one that was right in his face and she was like, you did not see anything. Yeah, and it's possible by this point, Stephen and Amethyst's understanding with ripping on each other is you apologized by stopping. So there's at least a history to what they're doing. Yeah, and it's not really any different from the way Amethyst typically acts. I mean, she plays pranks on him. She messes with him all the time. So, But he wasn't in a good place. He wasn't playing back, and she didn't read that, you know? So, yeah, just to me, I mean, I already liked Garnet, but I like that she took the time to say something to him you know, that she felt that she was wrong and that she should have listened to him. Yeah. And she even kind of like wiped her eye under the glasses like she might yeah, have had a tear under there. Yeah. I am headcanoning that she definitely cried a little bit. So, you know, yeah, no, that, I have decided she's that's where, not That's where so I was sick. going to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's sweet, you know, especially that since we don't really see that much from her in terms of outwardly expressed emotions. So it does mean a lot, especially from the leader of the team, that she regrets not listening to Stephen. So it must be awkward if she yeah. has to wipe a tear from her middle eye because she'd have to like go in, in the top <laughs> of her glasses. She probably has to wait for it to run down and over her nose first. <laughs> Wonder how that works. <laughs> she doesn't cry enough for me to know. <sighs> so, hmm. what do you think of Stephen Junior. and? Getting to see that again. I thought that was fun. <laughs> it's <was> cute. <laughs> the show does that very well where they'll just remind you that there's history and kind of sh- just the warp tour was showing all of these different places they had been with the duct tape geode and the sky spire. And where else did they go? Where else did they go? They went back to the wheat field place. Oh, yeah. And Garnet said, bless you when he sneezed. Yeah, I noticed that she, she picked up a thing or two. Mm. Or gems do that as well when they sneeze. <laughs> wonder if they do. Mm. <laughs> There's a couple of different sneeze-related references in this where Pearl told him how he was supposed to sneeze into his elbow and Garnet said, bless you. Mm. Ah, the macaroni and nothing. <laughs> I did a bit inside at that. 
I really liked that. I thought that was really funny. Well, I was also thinking of Pearl, not Pearl, I'm doing, keep doing that today. Amethyst, just downing the contents of the macaroni and cheese packets completely unmade. Yeah. Just, just the powder and the dry pasta. I mean, at least it was food this time. Yeah. Ostensibly. Mm. <laughs> mm. So what else should we say about this? Mm. I really found the ending of the episode very compelling, just how they're all freaking out and they're coming back. I can't do this. We're dead. All that was very effective, even though Peridot did not seem, mm, she didn't seem too scary and threatening. She's just threatening because she's the unknown. And really the scariest thing she did was stomp on the baby robot Mm. after Steven's like, oh, it's like her babies. And she's like, crush. Yeah, she's more just all business than actually threatening or mean or anything. Yeah. And we didn't actually see her talk to anyone, so we don't know how she deals with actual sapient beings. Yes, definitely. It just seems like she's making a report or making notes to herself. So we don't know what she's up to or who's orders she's on or what exactly she's trying to accomplish at this point. Mm. But our gems don't want her to do it. It looked like her at least immediate mission was inspecting and trying to restore warp pads, but to what end? It doesn't look like she's just some, you know, glorified traffic warden or not even that glorified. (laughs) She's tech support. (laughs) Funny, genuinely disquieting when he was floating in space. Yeah, and just sort of drifting off and talking to himself to what he thinks would be his end. And we, the audience, aren't seriously fearing for him, but it's still pretty grim Mm -hmm. until another stream pops up behind him and Garner gets a big damn heroes moment to grab him. (laughs) Follow-up questions! I think I could make that into a probing question if you want. Okay, let's go there. So how about just what do you think about presenting the realistic possibility of mortality in cartoons? Well, we've touched on this before, that this is definitely not a younger skewing cartoon where death does not exist. So Mm -hmm. it's not like a rescue bots or something. But there's a thing, particularly with American children's media, to even when death is part of the storyline, to avoid using any of the actual words for death, death, yes. dead, dying, etc. Mm-hmm. Always gone or left. Yeah, or I saw one particular egregious use of not coming back when they were actually referring to finding someone's body. It's like, that's, that's not Ooh. how that euphemism works. Yeah. In the case of this cartoon, when we say she gave up her physical form, where where that's not a euphemism. <laughs> yeah, I mean they've definitely said dead and dying and the associated words on this one. I, I mean, it, even for comic effects, like they can't die of food poisoning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in this case, he's floating out there in you know in a situation where if somebody doesn't rescue him, he's I mean he's outright saying, and now I'm gonna die, and yeah. it's not like oh no, we're dead. <laughs> You know, it was very somber for a moment there. And even though you're assuming that in episode 37 of a series that you know goes on for a bunch of seasons, that the main character is not going to actually bite the dust. But, you know, I mean, unless it's Steven and the Stevens and a whole bunch of them die. Yeah. 
them. (laughs) It's still really just a very quiet, scary moment to think he was very close to death. And I admit, and of course, granted, I'm not a TV executive or someone who curates things for children, but the middle range where death is allowed to feature as long as you don't call it death kind of confuses me because, look, it's either death or it's not. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you have to fill the dialogue with words like slaughter and murder and rip, tear and rend people into pieces and things, but I think simply saying dead when you mean dead... I don't see what the hypothetical children are being protected from if they're being presented with the concept of death, but not the word for it. Agreed. You know, sometimes, sometimes it works like Transformers shows, they get away with a lot because they're robots and they get to use a lot of mechanical words that mean the same thing and don't sound as, don't sound as awkward then as the human euphemisms. Right. And, you know, in Transformers, they can like pull each other's limbs off and that's not going to happen in most other cartoons. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. I mean, we've seen a little bit of, I guess, censorship on this show with regard to that, like with the watermelon Stevens and how they have to turn into cute little slices rather than look like anything bloody or gutsy. But That, yeah. <laughs> that I can comprehend not showing the kids blood and guts if it's not, especially if it's not actually blood and guts. Yeah, right. So it, and even to people who know what watermelon pulp looks like, it is actually kind of funny to think of watermelons breaking apart into neat ordered watermelon slices. Yeah, of course, then other times you can squirt blood everywhere and then say ketchup. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that was really gruesome. And visually, Frybo just looked like a bleeding, barfing monster, but... But they just you go, know, oh, it's ketchup. Do. Some people have ketchup on their fries, so it's okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But Stephen is supposed to be an organic boy who could definitely die if he was exposed to the vacuum of sort of space. Yeah. I mean, granted, they've got something that's not likely to happen to any of the kids watching anytime soon. Right. Um, yeah. I know that. <laughs> I know from listening to the BBFC podcast that one of the issues of presenting peril is how possible the peril is. It's true. You don't have to say kids don't try this at home when they're fighting a centipede or jumping out of a warp screen. Yeah, but the one I'm thinking of is a film, don't ask me which one, got bumped up a rating notch because a child locked themselves in a washing machine which is far more plausible for a human child viewer to do. Yes. But but again, my main thing is if death's around, call it death, at least when it's appropriate, don't. I mean, sure, some people use euphemism in real life. That's okay. Use the same ones in cartoons, but don't use really awkward ones in otherwise natural sentences. Yes. Right. (laughs) I mean, unless it's natural for the characters to not want to say that someone is Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it's a character thing or a natural thing, then fine. Mm But yeah, don't don't have them when they're talking about fishing bodies out of the rivers. I think that was on one of the Batman ones and things like, yeah, if someone's body's been fished out of the river, then they are dead. They have not passed in their sleep. Unless they're sleeping on a boat, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's like, I don't mind the aforementioned robotic ones because sometimes they're even actually kind of tongue-in-cheek funny to find robot words for human things, although occasionally it's just a bit annoying when they try too hard, but... Yeah, 
Uh, no, what do you mean? But then I've even heard them use dead and die on that show for the other robots, so go figure. Hmm. That's fair, I guess. <laughs> yeah, for this show, I appreciate that they say what they mean for the most part, and they are allowed to say dead and die. Yeah, I, they keep it all a, a bit a bit simple, partly because it's a kid's show and partly because it's an 11-minute show as well. I mean, yeah. you didn't need to stop today's episode and explain how hypoxia works or what could happen to a human body in the vacuum of space. Right, and as, as non-violent ways to die go, looking at somebody just drifting off into the vacuum of almost space and passing out is probably not going to give most people nightmares. Although that kind of stuff always really bothered me. Anything about not a character being depicted as not being able to breathe is very scary. Yeah. Sometimes I get that too. Usually it's water stuff though. I guess that's just because that's more, more common is if somebody's stuck underwater. I get a weird sense with realistically, and this is usually a live action thing, so diverting a little, realistically done space stuff, I get this weird cross between claustrophobia and agoraphobia, Mm. which, of course, I think also if I'm feeling that, that tells to me that whoever made it has done a very good job too. Yes. With this scene, it didn't go on long enough for you to really start worrying about Stephen, but... You know, I definitely started to feel like, oh, he's he's out in space. Like what what I thought was going to happen the first time I saw it was maybe he would drift into some other warp stream and go to some distant planet and no one would know where he had ended up and yeah, how I, were they going to find him. Yeah, I too at first thought he'd hit another stream, I, which I guess kind of he did. I just didn't expect the gems to find him right away. I guess I kind of anticipated he would... In the 10 seconds I had to think about it, of course, that he would sort of fall into another stream and then have the next part of his adventure at wherever he ended up. So in retrospect, I guess Mm -hmm. I was kind of wondering if he would discover this other gem on his own. But of course, the nature of the story means that the other three, or at least certainly some of the other three, have to see what he sees to vindicate him and know there's a threat. Yeah. Does really bring up kind of a question of how does how do they decide kind of where the warp stream is going to pop up? Like, how did Garnet know that she could use the warp pad at that point and be able to grab him? How, you know, yeah, that's a good doesn't question. Seem like there, doesn't seem like there's any conscious like attempt to do that. Like they're just like, oh well, I'm standing on this warp pad and I'm going to this other place and it just does it. So I don't know. It's very odd. Yeah, it doesn't have like a display where they could go, oh, let's look at who last used this and where they've ended up. Yeah, it seems like where they showed up next, although there was like sort of a camera cut, but where they showed up next was the galaxy warp. So um, hmm. maybe the maybe the galaxy warp or the hub where it is is a bit like an all roads lead to Rome thing. Hmm. So they figured it kind if, of looked like that. So figured if Stephen had got lost or out of the stream somehow that he'd kind of end up in the vicinity, if this makes any sense in this non-space, of heading towards the main hub. So the best bet was to head straight for that to try to catch him. Yeah, just be kind of, don't think about it. Uh, Oh my goodness. So so just a big sigh of relief when Garnet's arms just stuck out of that and grabbed him. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness. (laughs) And I think another thing that made it a bit easier on 
the viewers, especially, you know, the younger or more easily unsettled viewers is we never actually leave Stephen through any of this. Mm -hmm. So we don't cut back to the beach house with the other gems going, oh, where's Stephen gone? During which time we'd have no idea if Stephen is even still alive. We, mm -hmm. we stay with him. So there's at no point do we actually think, oh, he might be dead now. Yeah. Some very interesting dialogue surrounding that. It kind of went by fast. So I don't know if like you remembered all that. You tend to have very good recall. So you'll probably remember it when I say it. But when Pearl was kind of blabbering when she saw him, she said, Amethyst heard the warp pad activate and Garnet said you were floating outside the stream. So she knew. Yeah. Garnet's got something going on. Oh, she's a really, really good guesser. <laughs> She knew what she was doing. It was intentional. Don't some real world myths have a thing about third eyes? Being able mm -hmm. to like see beyond yes. well, regular stuff. I don't know if that yeah. applies to gems or if that's a thing the writers knew, but put a pin in that one for thinking. I think when they revealed that she had a third eye in Arcade Mania, that's what I kind of connected to Pearl saying that Garnet had heightened abilities to guide us toward our mission objectives. Oh, she's actually got a bit of second sight. Right. And that's kind of what I thought the third eye was kind of like hinting and also Pearl confirming. So it seems like this is in that category, but they haven't been real specific about how it works. That's why I didn't quite snapped my fingers on that one because no one said, oh, because Garnet has a third eye, she can sleep slightly right. into the future and knew where to go. Right. <laughs> I guess it's kind of like when you watch crime shows and stuff, there's usually some kind of commissioner or somebody who like hands out the missions and stuff. And Garnet always seems to be the one who says, oh, we have a mission. So it seems like she would have to be aware for some reason of what of stuff that's going on. Um, oh, yeah. She that's way back. I remember that now. And I remember that was before I knew that these three or these four were pretty much on their own. Mm -hmm. So at the time, I thought that they were operating on behalf of some other body we never saw, like Sapphire and Steel. Mm -hmm. But now we know that they're kind of, by and large, clearing up gem stuff on their own. So, mm -hmm. yeah, if Garnet is doing that and absent any sort of great chart of leftover gem disasters, then, yeah, those heightened senses would would make sense. And it, it, I guess it makes sense because in real life, if you've got one eye, you can see in two dimensions. If you've got two eyes, you can see in three dimensions. So if you've got three eyes, you should be able to see in four dimensions. Yeah. I think that that's, you know, that's probably one of the things they decided about her design, that they wanted her to look mysterious, but then also have this mm. kind of mythological forehead chakra thing going on <laughs> that indicates a third mm. eye, literally. Yeah. And, they've, and they've brought it this far, enough for us to have this conversation without, again, someone saying exactly how this works. Right. Probably the listeners are about to punch me in the face, though, because like... <laughs> Oh, to be real with you, they're going to be specific very soon. <laughs> but we already figured it out. <laughs> hmm. Now, like, being that I watch a lot of science fiction, like, I have seen this third eye thing so many times that I just kind of thought, didn't you already 
like kind of tell us that back in episode 11, kind of when she's implied to be having like supernaturally fast resource re- reflexes. And then they show us she's got a third eye and it's just like, oh, there's, there's something else going on with her. Yeah. So, uh, I remember wondering if the third eye was like the mythological third eye at the time, but the only thing mm-hmm. we got in the episode when we saw it was basically Stephen going, oh my goodness, she's got a third eye. <laughs> Uh, he took her sunglasses off, her visor thing. And I was never sure if his his reaction of he says, "Oh my gosh!" and I don't I didn't know if it was because she looked hypnotized or if he'd never seen under it before. It was unclear, but I could imagine Garnet just like not really taking it off. So so far, I guess we've only seen under it twice, and both times it was because of well, Stephen knocked it off in Mirror Gem. Also, yeah. Well, when she's just chilling around the house, she still wears the visor. So. Who wears her sunglasses at night? <laughs> I like that song. <laughs> I'm dating myself here. <laughs> oh, well, I was listening to it yesterday yeah. on one of my playlists. Oh, hmm. yeah, that's a good song. <laughs> so I've seen some Garnet cosplay where people will get visors that you can kind of see through and they'll do makeup to have like a prosthetic third eye. And even though that is cool, I, I prefer the mysterious, you know, completely opaque look. Yeah, that'd I think be interesting I don't because kind of see through it. Doing, mm-hmm. doing fake additional eyes is a difficult thing. Yes. Because, uh, well, you can't make an eye socket into your own head. Yeah. Yeah, you have to do some pretty fancy stuff with makeup, which I have never done that. <laughs> even, even, like, films have had mixed results, so. You can usually find like Halloween props and stuff to do to do that. And I really I've I've seen quite a few really good versions of that for Garnet, but you know, if I think it would be cooler if like you can't see them through the visor. And more inscrutable. I just yeah, I really like her vibe. We're you know, this has suddenly become a Garnet episode for me. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about her. <laughs> I will I will digress about Garnet given any opportunity. I think I have a type. <laughs> a three-eyed, inscrutable type. So. Hmm. I don't think Tinder has a tick box for that. I do not think they do. That's why I boycott Tinder. <laughs> they don't have my orientation. <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> That's probably true, actually. They don't I, have my orientation. I've never looked at Tinder, so I don't. Yeah, I've never. <laughs> we're like, yeah, is this, wait. <laughs> Trying to sound cool, but I've never seen Tinder. I've never looked at Tinder. Uh, so um, anyway, I guess any other observations or should we talk about our other usual categories of stuff? Let's talk about some stuff. So we've already, we've already probed me this time. So I guess that leaves us some merchandise and food. Yes, and music. And music, of course. There was background stuff, which I don't... Stephen didn't sing the I'm Drifting Off to My Death song. (laughs) He didn't have his uke with him. There was some kind of song when they were doing the actual touring of all the warp streams that were popping around. There was a cool, like, jaunty tune that I don't know what it's called. I've never found it as, like, its own track anywhere or named as a track. Probably has one, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, I like Um, that sort of nice popping along on the road music. Yeah. But, of course, the main one that this episode is known for is the new character. Peridot has a theme that we got to hear. 
And it's just oh, called yeah. Peridot. Imagine that. <laughs> it's likely means we'll be seeing her again. What's that? It's, it's likely means we'll be seeing more of her if she gets her own scene. I think there have been some really minor characters that get their own theme. Like I think the Heaven and Earth Beatles had a theme, but Peridot does, you know command a presence so see i don't remember what they said the instruments were for her i think it's some kind of sine wave electronic instruments with trance plucks or something like that i'm trying to remember like i very recently like within the last day or so of us recording this the steven universe instrumental album came out for season one. Oh yeah i saw the announcement yeah and i was going through like looking at some of the credits and stuff and i'm like oh that's what that's called a <laughs> that instrument or the electronic version of that instrument. So I very recently reviewed that. So it sounded really very electronic. <laughs> Fish for Peridot. I keep wanting to say Peridot because that's how yes. I learned to say the name of the actual rock. But Yeah, Fitch, that's more common. Mm-hmm. Fish of Peridot with her sort of, if she's a technician and has iPad hands and a fleet of little <laughs> robots that she gets the electronic music. Yeah. It's sort of an intimidating sort of electronic track. It's not happy music. It's well, I think kind of maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what led to me feeling she was so all business that what was going mm-hmm. on behind her was similarly mooded. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. So, but other than that, no, uh, no singing, no music, sadly. Mm. I do, of course, have food. Ah, yeah, there was definitely food this week. Mm-hmm. As you might imagine, I did indeed try to eat macaroni cheese by itself. Yes, and how did that go? It's not good. It no, does it's not, not taste You know, I kind of thought it would taste good because it sort of is cheese. And how can you go wrong with cheese? You can go wrong with cheese, okay? And it's, ugh. Yeah. yeah, no, I ate some of the powder once just as a, I wonder what the powder's like thing. And you're yeah. amethyst, aren't you? You're secretly <laughs> amethyst. Maybe not so secret, secretly. <laughs> well, I didn't like the powder as much as she does, so there's that at least. Wow. And one of my friend's children, when they were a toddler, used to just crunch it down straight out the packet. <laughs> and I, and it was one of those, oh, don't, oh, don't, oh okay, things. <laughs> Child is doing it. Can't stop them now. <laughs> if it was that bad for them, something would have happened. I guess we're okay. Oh, so um, I was definitely much more of a fan of the macaroni and nothing. I actually quite like plain macaroni. Oh yeah, I've had I've had that. In fact, I had that many times before I had macaroni and cheese. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it's not my favorite thing, but you know, I made it out of a box just like he would have. So the macaroni and nothing. Actually, like my my first job as a teenager i worked at a salad buffet restaurant that one of their stations was pasta and you could give people plain pasta and they could choose from kind of a bar Mm. which sauce they wanted to put on it so and i i would secretly keep a bowl of plain pasta underneath the counter and just like duck behind there and just eat it and i was always eating just noodles (laughs) with nothing on it i was the same so right there with you no no (laughs) contest here yeah so I very, very much approve of macaroni and nothing, even though Stephen, as a sad sack eating it, was not too pleased. Well, he he was doing in, a bit of flagellating, I think. I think so. And he was, he was quite tired from two nights of this crap. But I will admit that after I took some ridiculous photos of my meal, I did mix them together and eat it like a normal person. And also, I did make the chocolate chip cookies like Garnet did. 
Oh, yeah. I did not dump them into my face straight off of a cookie sheet, but it was just a pretty typical everyday chocolate chip cookie recipe. But I made it interesting by, I have a pair of homemade garnet gauntlets that my friend made me a while back. And I had them in the shot looking like they were just oven mitts and just posting it with no comments, you know, just, (laughs) yeah, I'm making some cookies. (laughs) Just (laughs) bring some to your neighbors. And here it is in these big Hulk hands, you know. (laughs) So that was my bit of fun. (laughs) So not, not too much unusual. Well, I guess eating the cheese by itself is a little unusual, but that was my adventure with food. Nothing that needs a recipe written out, I guess. I have some little factoids about this episode. If only I had known that! This was another another Raven, Mollusy, and Paul Vileco episode. So well, Paul would have liked doing Stephen's screwed up faces. Probably, yeah. I think, I think, I'm trying to think who would have been responsible for all that snot. The tagline, let's see, let me find it. The tagline for this, the, what do you call that? The episode description was, Stephen thinks he sees something creepy, which is traversing the warp streams and the gems try to ease his paranoia, <laughs> which like, they just straight up told him that he didn't see anything. Yeah, like, <laughs> they didn't try too hard. Yeah. And our, our new gem, Peridot, was voiced by Shelby Ribara. Okay, that one's new to me. Yeah, I don't know that she does a lot of voice acting. She's more just an actor, actually more. She's known as a dancer, really. She's done some acting. And I read a factoid on her that the first time she ever auditioned for a TV show, she got the role. (laughs) So, school. Yeah, I know. She's she's quite a character. But she does a lot of really good dance numbers and stuff. I think she was a professional cheerleader before she entered the entertainment. Well, other forms of visual entertainment. And she's Filipino. And they kind of use her as a consultant sometimes if they have to have the characters dance. They'll just have her do a dance and then they'll model the dancing on her. (laughs) So if they need some foot taps, they'll get her to do the foot taps. She's a really good dancer. (laughs) But she's the voice of Peridot. I think I read somewhere that she auditioned for other characters too and that they actually considered her for Garnet, which makes no sense. But, you know, I think Rebecca Sugar has said before that she thinks, she feels like she doesn't necessarily have a specific voice idea in mind for the characters. She'll have kind of a vibe, but that could be achieved different ways. And Garnet being very stoic and all businessy like that, it could have manifested in a very different way. Yeah, and I guess that's good to be kind of open like that. Mm-hmm. So I have heard some people phrase it like, oh, Shelby Ribara was almost Garnet, but I, I don't know if it was necessarily that. I think it was more like she read for several parts and that was one of the parts she read for. Yes. I don't really know all the time the scene stuff with that. Yeah, someone thought about it isn't quite the same as she was almost got it. Right, right. <laughs> that it was down to two people and they picked one. I don't know. But I'm glad that she got a role on Steven Universe because I think her voice acting is really, really cool. Brand spanking new mint inbox. What do you think about it being merch time? What have we got? Yes. Okay. Yep. Okay. Here I have a plushie of Peridot. Hey. <laughs> hey, Peridot. Her nose is too big. Yeah, I was noticing that. I thought, was her nose that big? But okay, I wasn't out of order thinking that no it kind of looks like the same style that they did for pearl in the same line but she's got a little smile <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> she hasn't seen her do that very yet. goofy looking yeah. body looking critter mm. but they and do she's... pretty well with the details yeah. on these they just still look really super awkward <laughs> yeah 
She's another mostly shades of the same color, Jim. Yep. Yellow, light green, dark green. She's got these little patches on her knees. Yeah, she's little diamond patches on her on her outfit and, yep. and her head. They did not manage to get the floating fingers. No, I guess there's only so much you can do there, but it, she's kind of got Ernie or Bert's hands on this one. Yep. I have seen cosplayers try to do interesting things with that. Uh, what kind of things do they try to do to get the floaty finger thing? One thing, the main thing that I've seen is that people would get some kind of straw or a very thin stick and stick more visible things onto the ends of them, almost like you're roasting a marshmallow. But it's a very awkward costume to try to cosplay Peridot. She is not easy to pull off at all. (laughs) So the, the weird triangle head and the visor she wears and everything and then being painted green on top of that and the arms and legs. Super weird. Mm. So I admire anybody who would would try to do that. I certainly would never be brave enough to try that. Oh yeah, well it's always good to see what people come up with to to get mm-hmm. the sense of something, even if they're not going for a straight replication. Yeah, <laughs> I have seen some. You know what? I saw a, a cosplay of Alexandrite once. Oh yeah, and she had all the arms. And they had her being filmed out by some apple trees picking the apples because, like, there was that line about my mom works on an apple farm. <laughs> uh, it was a, it was hilarious. I laughed so hard because it's such a great reference, you know. <laughs> so that is that is the end of my content for you on extra stuff for Warp Tour. Hmm. Oh, well, Anything yeah. else we should talk about on this one? No, I mean this was what JMS used to call a Wham episode. I think that we've seen another step in the coming closer to meeting the outside worlds, plural. Yeah, it's definitely a sort of plotty one. It didn't seem like it was going to be at first. Well, the actual story of the episode, Stephen sees something and people don't believe him, is fairly minor. It's only really right at the end that you get, and it's still a big moment to see a new gem. We didn't really say that, but kind of goes unspoken that we've only seen one other gem not from our Earth team. That's right. That is right. And this one completely underscores, yes, gem gem society, the gem system, whatever, is still operational because Lapis was all by herself in a mirror. So she just went off to see who she could see. And we don't know what she found. Whereas Peridot is recording stuff for someone. She's up. Unless she's just particularly dedicated to the bit, she is working for someone. Yeah. You know, I think I saw some people kind of wondering whether all of this kind of new attention to Earth for the first time in what's clearly a long time had anything to do with Lapis. They were like, well, does this mean Lapis is telling on them or what's going on? And then other people are like, no, she can't have made it anywhere yet because space is big. But, you know, it's not clear if those are related events. Yeah, well, we talked at the time how, I mean, even by this point, Lapis wouldn't even made it to the next planet in our system, let alone mm-hmm. an, another one if she's just flying on her wings. So either mm-hmm. it's cartoon physics or there are other ways to get around than just her wings. You don't think she's got rocket boosters in her heels? No, or, you know, it could be once, it could be that she has some kind of way once she's up and going to, I don't know, hit hyperspace or something, or there are warp pads that, aren't on Earth, but are on a nearby 
body that are still connected? Yeah, I think that was a common kind of theory when this was kicking around too, is that maybe she's just trying to find the nearest warp pad and she's not going all the way to wherever, mm. wherever home is by herself on her wings. Yeah, if there's a leftover warp pad on the moon or Mars or something, she could make it to there. Mm-hmm. Take her a while, but it's more feasible than she made it to an entire other star system just by flapping her wings. Mm-hmm. At least, you know, within a space of hundreds of years. Oh, well, I guess as long as it takes is how long she has. Because she doesn't need to breathe or eat out, out there. <laughs> yeah. But again, already the gems, obviously not our gems, the gems out there, obviously know about Earth to some extent because they put a bunch of warp pads and half their old stuff on there. So mm-hmm. Lapis may not, Lapis need not have told them about it. Right. I guess this episode has nothing to do with Lapis, but it's interesting that she had this very strong desire to go home, but she doesn't mention anyone. Like she doesn't say, I want to report back to so-and-so or that I miss so-and-so. Like she just wants to go home. We don't really know anything about why. Yeah. I got a bit of, a bit of the impression, and this may just be me, that she was just, I'm just so done with being trapped in a mirror and whatever was happening to me before I just want to go home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Screw this place. I'm out. You know? So, but now we have Herodot going off to wherever she lives and she knows that the site may have been compromised. So that is what she seems a little bit wary about and mm. destroys her evidence and leaves. Mm. So we'll have to keep watching to find out what she does with that information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but next time there is some form of test. You got it. I don't know who or what is being tested, but there's a test. That is what we will pick up on next time. (laughs) I guess we will thank our listeners for listening and tell them to meet us in the next episode. (laughs) See you next time for the test. Bye. Thanks, y'all. Bye. You've been listening to Ivy and Daria on Not-So-Giant Women. You can find episodes of the show in video form by looking up Not-So-Giant Women on YouTube or in audio form at anchor.fm slash Not-So-Giant Women or your podcatcher of choice. You can also find us on Facebook. Audio production by Daria. Video production and music by Ivy. Daria can also be heard on Postploitation, the Ausploitation podcast. And Ivy at her Steven Universe fan blog at love-takes-work.tumblr.com. Steven Universe was created by Rebecca Sugar and remains property of Cartoon Network. No infringement is intended.